It's time for truth, a ministry of Truth Family Bible Church in Middleton, Idaho. It's time for truth exists to glorify God through the edification of his saints in our local church and for the benefit of the church around the world. I'm your host, Pastor Danny Steinmeier, and I am joined in studio with my friend and fellow elder at TFBC, Jim Berg. Welcome you to another episode of the podcast. Uh, thanks for making us part of your day. If you are finding benefit from our conversations, please feel free to tell others about it, and we encourage you to share it around and invite others to tune in as well. We would appreciate that. Jim, how are you today? You know, I'm doing better, Danny. I've been dealing with a back injury, but I'm upright and got a little sleep the last couple nights, so I'm I'm uh, feeling really good. And you know, I count my blessings every morning, and I am truly blessed. Um, I'm excited. The beard. I trimmed the beard up. Feel a little better about it. I had my uh, looking smart first trim, so we'll we'll see if it stays. And then I'm excited about today's topic because I think um, this topic is one that gets misrepresented in what we call the Big Eva Church the most. And so I'm excited about us talking about it and getting into the history and the reform, but also into what that means for us as we actually apply it to our daily lives. So excited for today. Yeah, looking forward to our conversation. Uh, and as we get started, it, we do like to talk about different things that are going on in the culture around us and in our own state, especially. And so as we get going today, we just wanted to start with a short discussion about a couple of local news items. In the last few weeks, a significant uh, bill made it through the Idaho legislature regarding banning transgender procedures for minors. Uh, which is really such a basic and normal thing that shouldn't be controversial for any sane person, let alone any Republican uh, political leader. And yet our Republican governor, who is not a leader in any meaningful way, uh, who is not a conservative as evidenced by his administration, he, he delayed signing the bill and indicated that he wanted to hear from people regarding their support or opposition to the bill. <clears throat> Now, basically, he took a poll, uh, which is really a, a great evidence of leadership, isn't it? Well, let's uh, lick my finger and stick it in the air and see which way the wind is blowing. We're going to take a poll to f find out what I actually believe and what I'm going to do. And that's that's just a, a major disappointment. Uh, made it sound like, though, that he was undecided and he was weighing it carefully. And it caused quite a stir. I know that social media and emails and text messages that I re had received... They all blew up, uh, urging everyone to call this number, tell the governor to sign the bill, because he supposedly said that he will sign it or not sign it based on the feedback he received. And uh, first, I do want to compliment the legislature for doing right in this regard. I, I'm, I'm grateful that we have a Idaho legislature that took up the issue, and it, it is an important issue around the country. But it was so important for them to do this. And so they did They did the right thing. They put it on the governor's desk. We have a Republican House, a Republican Senate, a Republican governor. And yet it's it was so, it was so hard and so difficult for him to uh, reach an easy decision. And so personally, I think it was a bunch of baloney. And I'm actually, that's a, that's a Greek word, by the way. Uh, I'm actually more <laughs> concerned 
with harvest with actually the harvesting of information about who people are and their positions. And I actually believe that he didn't know what he was going to do and could go either way. I, I'm actually more concerned that that was uh, a play and a ploy. I, I don't trust this governor and this whole thing of of call this number. We'll have your phone number tied to your view and opinion. I, I have more of a concern about that than whether or not we actually would have influence uh, on him. Uh, but if, it, if, if that was true, though, that he was undecided and just needed to, to see the winds blow, then he proves once again that what a terrible leader that he is and that he is not governing on any foundation of biblical or conservative principles at all. Look, and it tells us our activity and need to be involved in this. We're not to be of the world, but we need to be in the world such that our voice is heard. And again, if we don't bring them truth, who will? And so, you know, we'll be called fascist for that. But fascist is the new word for truth. <laughs> it seems that way. But uh, Governor Little is simply uh, playing the games of politics, uh, seeking the power. And he's apparently for sale to the highest bidder. At least that's the way he presents himself. And if that's the case, then perhaps your phone calls did play a role. And, and it's not like he gave any feedback as to how many calls he received from either side. He ultimately signed the bill. He did so very late with a, a letter of almost apology for doing so. And so we're, we're look, we're, we're thankful to the Lord that this bill has passed, that there is some protections that are being put into law related to the, the abuse of children, because that's really what this is about. And uh, that's a, an important element. So we are thankful to the Lord, however, the outcome that um, even, even foolish leaders who don't operate on principle and are not really uh, concerned with the things of the Lord and his standards, uh, even at the ultimate end, they did he did do the right thing. And so we are grateful for that. We need to continue to pray for Governor Little. Uh, he is a terrible governor. Th those things are not opposed to each other. We can tell the truth and uh, identify that uh, we need to pray for him. And uh, we're thankful for those who have been praying. We, we pray for our political leaders every week as a church. And so we need to pray for his salvation, and we need to pray for the continued hand of the Lord upon our state and upon our culture to uh, steer things towards his righteous standard, and that we as a church might live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness. That's, that's, our, that's our aim. And so whatever, uh, whatever the outcome, whatever the situation, we do want to uh, uh, give it to the Lord because it's in his hands. He moves the heart of the king. And so uh, we are grateful for this outcome. Uh, but we want to continue to be diligent. Like Jim says, be be involved, uh, have our voices heard, uh, apply the appropriate pressure, and, uh, and, and lift up our leaders in prayer. Jim, there's another bill that uh, you also looked into that uh, was recently uh, gone through the legislature. Yeah, so Governor Little signed another bill. It's the abortion trafficking law. And basically, it's for people that are trying to avoid the Idaho law on abortion, which was just instituted because of Roe v. Wade being overturned. It's really people that are trying to cross over into a different state to avoid the penalty of law here. And it's the first of its kind in the United States. It's interesting when you combine... Governor Little's position on the first one we talked about, with this being the first in its kind, Idaho is kind of on the leading edge. And that tells you how bad the Republican Party is. That tells you yeah. the conservative voices are really not heard. And so we've got to do a much better job of that. Anyway, back to that law. So um, it makes it illegal to cross the border uh, if you're a minor or anyone else associated with helping that person cross the border uh, to have an abortion to avoid our law. Now, the conviction of that is is a penalty of two to five years in prison. Um, it gives our attorney general the ability to prosecute these people. 
and we celebrate this incremental law, but the reality is, is two to five years for murder is not sufficient. And so while we celebrate that we're the first in the nation, we want to move towards abolition of murder totally. And I think that's important that we look at it and go, great, but two to five years is, is not the penalty for murder. Yeah, we need to continue to communicate and uphold the standard of true biblical righteousness. Right. Uh, that, that, is, that is important, that we uh, keep our eye on the ball, as it were. <clears throat> well, we want to also get into our next topic of discussion, and as we are continuing in our series on uh, the, our church distinctives, but specifically now in the five solas of the Reformation, things that we as a church stand upon, are proud of, love, want to communicate and uh, and, and make part of our ministry and our lives, we are wanting to go through these five solas of the Reformation. And we come to number three, sola gratia today. And that's a statement that is, salvation is by grace alone. And in Ephesians 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 8, it says, for by grace you are saved through faith. Uh, by grace you are saved. Uh, that, that is the, that is the, foundation upon which our salvation is is built. And grace is the starting place for our, our conversation today. And the first thing we need to do is we need to really have some sense of definition. What What is grace? And I think a lot of us have a pretty good idea of it. That's, that's probably one of the strengths of the church today is a, a pretty good understanding of what grace is. Grace is the unmerited favor of of God, it is His kindness uh, that is shown to people who have uh, have no deserving of it. And so, um, how, but how does this doctrine of sola gratia? How does it differ from sola fide? Because we would we talked before about how our salvation is not based upon our works; it is based upon uh, is received by faith, and it's apart from works. Um, and in that way, there is some similarity that uh, salvation being by grace means that it is not uh, grounded in our, our works. And I just wanted to do a, a, a brief kind of explanation of the difference here. Faith is the way in which salvation is received. It, it, it points to belief as the way in which we appropriate salvation uh, to ourselves, knowing also that that faith is a gift from God. But grace is really the foundation, and it is the the source of our salvation. And so that's the that also is apart from works. And so grace shines the light on our unworthiness and on God's kindness toward us. So in this one, we really are looking at our own depravity, uh, our own unworthiness, and our own inability to save ourselves, that we rely and are dependent wholly upon God for our salvation because there is nothing good in ourselves to merit God's favor. Uh, we are uh, totally incapable of saving ourselves. And that's really the foundation of total depravity. Total depravity can also be spoken of as total inability. And what it points to is the realities of our brokenness, our fallenness, and our sin that has affected every part of what it means to be a human being. Uh, our minds are affected. Uh, we, the, the natural man cannot comprehend the things of God. It is not something that is reasoned to in our, in our natural faculties with our mind. It's not something that we can just will on our own because our, our decision-making process is also 
broken and colored with sin. We are corrupt within. Our emotions, our affections, those also are not trustworthy uh, faculties to appropriate salvation and to uh, earn it before the Lord. And and, and then, of course, our bodies um, are, are dying and are corrupted in our flesh. And so the reality is, is that it can only be by grace because we of ourselves are sinners and, uh, and are unable to do anything towards God in order to earn his favor and to be received by him. And so this doctrine, again, really highlights that reality that there is nothing good in us that merits or moves God to forgive us. He does not look across the sea of humanity and find bright lights shining in various places that he says, oh, what a wonderful person, I think I will save them. That's not the way this works. There is nothing in us that that causes God, moves him to save us. It is sheer grace, sovereign grace. It is his electing love, his choice to demonstrate his glory in saving some sinners for himself. Other sinners, he leaves to their destruction. Uh, but by his grace, he has chosen to save some. We've been talking a lot about even the grace of God in giving us his word and his law. Uh, God's communication and operation in this world is uh, by his grace to us, but then in terms of our salvation, it is all of grace. That is the grounding of our salvation, and it is received by us through faith. Both are apart from any merit or works of our own. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. It's the riches of God's grace that we are saved. And uh, this is an important element to understand. So this seems very basic, and it also seems very obvious to us who read our Bibles. But it is important to recognize once again that access to the Scripture was not commonplace prior to the Reformation. We need to understand the significance of what Martin Luther and other Reformers were fighting against and seeking to correct. So the Roman Catholic Church we need to be fair to them as well. They did not deny that salvation was by grace, but that grace was not alone. And that's the, the linchpin of this doctrine of the Reformation. And our, all of our beliefs. I mean, this is what separates the belief of the Bible and Christianity from every other worldview and religion. And those two are kind of combined as essentially every other religion and worldview becomes works-based. And the works takes over and it grows and grows and grows because it's not of God, it's of man. And man is depraved and we continue to seek for more and more control over other men. And that is our natural fallen condition right. to say, I need to contribute to my own, uh, my own salvation. The, the ultimate end of my life is something that I do as a product of my own effort. And I'm really looking forward to this Sunday uh, just a, a, a small teaser, the reality of what Cain did. I guess if you're listening to this, you already heard it on Sunday. Uh, the, the reality of what Cain did was to, when he brought his offering of the produce of the ground, was to, was to bring to God an offering of, this is the product of my own hands. This is the product of my own labor, and I'm going to refuse uh, God's modeled and ordained way of sacrifice and worship to God. And so what Cain did is he brought 
it, the he, he brought it to the Lord, but you know what he brought? His the works of his own hands, the produce of the ground that he had uh, that he had done, and rather than a, an appropriate sacrifice of an animal sacrifice. And we'll we'll uh, I'll leave it there because I'm I'm gonna get excited and I'll start preaching. No, here. it's a perfect picture of of everyone out there, everyone that's not elected by God. That's exactly what they're doing. They're trying to earn their salvation or earn some merit with men. Yep. So. Well, let's take a look uh, briefly at a couple of elements of the Roman Catholic system and what it is that they promoted and believed. This is from the Catechism of the Catholic Church of 1257. Baptism is necessary for salvation for those to whom the gospel has been proclaimed and who have had the possibility of asking for this sacrament. The church does not know of any means other than baptism that assures entry into eternal beatitude. So what we have here is the, uh, going through a work of a, a process, a religious rite of baptism is necessary for salvation. That's the that's a, a view that, again, adds work to the idea of grace. And so that's an important element that the Reformers looked at the Scripture and saw, wait a minute, that's, that's not supported in the text. That's not what the Bible teaches. Also from the Catholic Catechism, uh, the specific precepts of the natural law, because their observance demanded by the Creator, is necessary for salvation. So once again, there is this requirement to the, of observance to uh, the precepts of the natural law is what they say is necessary for salvation. There is, again, the adding of human effort and works and, and what we don't, I think, appreciate is the significant burden that that actually does place on a person. That is a heavy weight, and it also leaves people without any assurance. Grace is actually that which provides us, uh, by God's Word, with the assurance of salvation, because you can recognize that it's not dependent upon you and your works to save yourself. It is sheerly uh, of sheer grace and it's something that we can have confidence in because God has communicated, he has said it, and his word is sure. When you depend upon your own works, how do you know you've done it right? How do you know you've done enough? And keep going, keep going. And and, and there's no hope. Or the de- dependent on the works of another man who's redefining it. And we see this in the, the Mormon church where it's not the Book of Mormons anymore. It's the bishops or the leaders or whatever you call those men that are fundamentally changing the rules as they go. And so you're never, you're never settled. There's no contentment. You're, you're always looking for the next work that comes down the chain and uh, very disturbing. But it's also a very low view of sin too. Yeah. It's a, it's a very high view of man and our own ability to do good works and to do good works on our own and to contribute to our own salvation, it is a, a, a corrupted view of what God's Word says about the way in which man has fallen and our inability. Uh, another, another quote, this one comes from the Council of Trent, and this is on the canons of uh, justification, canon number nine. If anyone saith that by faith alone the impious is justified, in such wise as to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to the obtaining the grace of justification. 
and that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the movement of his own will. Let him be anathema. And this, of course, is a uh, significant response of the church to the Reformation. This, say, this approach to the idea of the solas is to say that they, they have rejected the truth of the Scripture, they have doubled down on their positions, and they have clearly stated that if you think that you are justified apart from works, that you are to be damned. It goes directly against Romans 3.24, justified by his grace as a gift. And so they are directly in conflict with Scripture. 100%. So who are you going to believe? And that yeah, absolutely that gets back to our previous discussion on sola scriptura. What is the standard? Right. Uh, what is the basis for our understanding of God and understanding of our salvation? These things are from the scripture. That's our that's our sole authority for life and godliness. And the church has claimed the Roman Catholic Church has claimed for itself uh, equal or even superior status of authority. And so the Reformation really sought to return the church to an understanding that we are depraved sinners with nothing good in us to merit salvation or to earn God's favor. But that God, uh, but that God in his kindness uh, freely chose to save some by sheer undeserved grace toward us. And so our salvation is grounded not in ourselves, but in God and his electing love and his grace that was shown to us in Christ and applied by the work of the Holy Spirit to bring us to himself. And so he gives us the gift of faith, and it is all accomplished by his grace, undeserved for fallen humanity. Now, this doctrine can also be easily misunderstood. The Reformers, along with the Scripture, didn't teach that God works, excuse me, that good works are not part of our salvation, but it's a matter of distinguishing the basis for our salvation and the product of our salvation. That distinction is huge, Jim. That's huge. And that's, that's you heard me say earlier, this is where I think most churches today would miss it. They would say we are saved by grace and that we can rest on our laurels and just be with God when we die and that there's nothing required of us for the rest of time. And that's the danger is you're so gracious and then you should be gracious and loving to the world because they're just sinners as well, Danny. And so, you know, it's this sit back and not do anything on our part towards that. And so when we think of salvation, we only think about the justification part or the saving grace part. And I believe I mentioned this here in our previous podcast on Sola Fide. And I'm, I may have, uh, but I may have said it somewhere else too. I say a lot of things and I don't always remember where I've said them, but this idea of salvation is, it's really important to understand that there is a a full picture of salvation when we think of justification, sanctification, and glorification. And most often we talk about, uh, this must have been, I think this was Easter Sunday, that's where I think I said it. The, the idea of justification, it looks back to that rebirth and that being justified before God in the courts of heaven, and, and, and it's credited to us as righteousness when we believe. So that's, that's our birthday, as it were, is our justification in the past, our sanctification is our salvation also. Paul talks about us being saved. There's a, there is the continuation of the process of working out our salvation. 
by sanctification, by being made practically holy. And this is where this element of the good of good works comes in, that we are saved unto good works that God has prepared for us. And then there's the ultimate salvation, the final salvation in our glorification when it all comes to fruition as we are uh, gathered together with the Lord through either death or his return, and we are united with him forever in perfection. Our, our sin is completely done away. Salvation, justification, and sanctification meet in our glorification, and we are with the Lord forever. And so there is a, a what, you're, what you were talking about, Jim, there is this issue of a low view of sanctification, it's a small view of our works. Yeah, and it's so important because we play a role in that. That's that's where we are. And so we, we love the saving grace and we love the glorification when we'll be with God in eternity. But the reality is as we go through time, as we live the rest of our lives, this is where we have to work it out. And it's still by grace, and we can talk about that. It's really important to understand that grace still applies to all three pieces of this. Absolutely. And that's that's important that it's not of our works so that we don't turn it into works. But look, there's a battle going on, right? The rest of Scripture is very clear that we have a spiritual battle occurring, not only in the world, but within our body itself, and understanding what that is and how we apply grace and how we access grace and how we engage in God and His Word and what He's doing, because He hasn't stopped, He's still active, becomes so important. And this is where I think we get lazy, content, and the big Eva church is just sit back and, and have joy and love your neighbor and love the world and, and you know, fall in love with Jesus. Just do, yeah, just do life. And that's just not the way it works. That's not scriptural based. And my passion and your passion is that we teach this such that our body grows every day in that process and understanding that process. I hope you guys appreciate um what Jim just said and the importance that we have and the like-mindedness that we share together. And I'm super grateful for Jim's partnership in ministry because that's, that's so important for us to understand in, in these times that we need to recognize that we have been called to live out our Christian life. And while it is all of God's grace, it is the work of the Spirit within us, there is no boasting in Christianity. Right. Yet at the same time, we are called to be accountable and responsible for our living and there is a mystery in that. There's that great kind of debate and question, who lives your Christian life? Does God live your Christian life? Do you live your Christian life? Yes, is the answer. There's a mystery to that because there's the reality that we are called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And there is the reality that there is reward and there is loss, and which means that there is a contribution. You said it perfectly, Jim. There is a contribution. There is our effort that is in play. That, that the, the Lord actually um, holds us responsible for how we serve Him and how we live for Him in this life. And so much of the version of Christianity that is popular is this idea that of, of what I like to call the fire insurance policy, right? Where you, you get your get-out-of-hell-free card and when you, when you believe, when you pray a prayer, and then you get to cash it in at the end. And really, between those two spots, your birthday and the, the closing date, it's really irrelevant to a lot of people, or it's just a small deal. And I would caution if you're not engaged, if you're not feeling a sense of urgency and desire to know and love God more, and I'm careful with that word desire, but it's this this idea, if you're not understanding you're participating in this, boy, there's some scripture that could scare you. And so we've got to be really careful in in examining ourselves and understanding 
do we really love the things that God loves? And I don't mean to be scary with that, but that's just the truth that's out there. And so if, if you're just getting up in the morning, you're having breakfast, you're going to work, you're finishing your work, you're coming home, spending time with your family, you go to bed, and then you go to church on Sunday, and you think that that's it, I would really examine myself and go, man, do I really love the things of God? And what do I need to get around and understand what's necessary for me to engage in this process? And the beauty, because it's grace-based, because it's not works-based of the world and it's not changing, we have everything we need in our possession, if we're a believer, in order to participate in that. There's nothing missing. It's it's all available to us. And, you know, the scripture is very clear on this. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments. James says, be doers of the word. First Peter says, be holy for I am holy. He would never tell us to be holy if we didn't have access to everything in order to accomplish that. Amen to that. And so, again, I know that we're going to sin, but don't use that as an excuse. We're, we're very good at excuse bases. And, you know, even the hymns, we were singing one last week in, at our Bible study, and it was prone to wander. And I kind of pointed out, let's not use that as an excuse. Yes, we're, we're battling, but get engaged in that process of battling it. Absolutely. We make no provision for the flesh, right? Right. That's what you're referring to. And the reality is, is that that warning that you just gave, Jim, it, we recognize that the presence of grace in our life means that a new heart has, right. has been given. And therefore, it changes your affections, it changes your desires, and you now have the desire to please God, to obey Him, and that that what you're talking about is that self-examination that the scripture calls us to, that we are to examine ourselves to see whether or not we are in the faith. And that's a right thing because we need to make sure that we have a love for the Lord and the things that He has done for us. Because when when grace has entered your life, it is a f- wonderful motivator for living for Him out of gratitude and love, not to earn or to or to pay back as if you're now indebted. But it's, it is out of love and, and gratitude for the one who has given his life for us. And a special caution to men, because James, when he talks about that, he talks about examining yourself, like looking in the mirror. He uses the mirror example, and I laugh in our house, because Judy will spend more time in front of the mirror than Jim will, right? And so, but it's that idea of actually examining what is going on in your life, taking time to reflect and go... What does this week look like? What am I doing for the Lord? What is my mission? What has God designed me to do? And explore the wonders that he's given us in a way that it grows our love for him. And that's the sanctifying process of the presence of the Holy Spirit, working through the word to make us more like Christ, to remove from us those areas of sin and blindness that that still remain as we pursue good works as we pursue love for God in sanctification and holiness as we do that. And so it's not a cheap grace. Solagratia is not cheap grace. And the caution on that. So I'll use an example of my back. I had very bad back pain. And so it was hard for me to study. I could read. So I read books and I could read the scripture, but to actually concentrate on what does this mean in my life? What is examining it and understanding the scripture and the love of it was hard because I was in pain. And so don't wait for yourself to get into a bad position before you start doing this. Does that make sense? Like when you're in sin, you are in pain and it's a propensity to get worse and worse. And so I'm not saying pull yourself out of it, but get yourself engaged in the process and plug into the scripture. That's a great point. This idea of, of being strong, you know, when you're, when you're physically fit and when you're strong, 
you can weather more storms and you can handle adversity and pain and difficulty uh, better because you've you're healthy and, and that's the that's the big idea right and that's second timothy chapter two he's he's paul has set peter or timothy up with his problems in the first chapter and he's transitioning to what's the solution and it's the first verse he says be strong in the grace in christ jesus and that is that's the idea is well grace is this sit back and enjoy it no you have to be strong in it you have to engage in it you have to be part of that process well that's very good so yes, it's very important that we understand what God has done for us in Christ, that the grounding, the foundation of our salvation is all of grace, and it continues again through the rest of our life that it, that our entire salvation, even our sanctification and our glorification is God's grace at work in our lives, yet it is not the denial of the presence of good works. They are the product of grace, not the cause or the or the um, foundation or the reason for grace. Rather, it is what God produces in us so that he gets all the glory. And so that does not mean that we sit back, as Jim said. It is a matter of engaging, being strong in the grace that God has given us, that we might live for him in, in every way, uh, resting in our salvation and the justification that we have received knowing that it is all a work of God and we can rest that, that we are secure in him. And that, that really gives us joy in, in our response. And so even within sanctification, there's God's normal means. He provides means for us to be sanctified. And so if you have questions about what that actually is, come ask us because he gives us, as I said, we've got everything we need. We have the tools necessary in order to go through the sanctification process. So he gives that to us. It's a gift. Oh, that's, that's great. And definitely want to encourage that. Continue to uh, reach out to us with any things that we can do for you or also to answer any questions. If you have questions for us that you would like for us to answer, we can answer them personally to you as well, but we can also answer questions for the broader audience on our podcast. And so we'd love to hear from you and receive from you your questions. You can reach out to us at truthfamilybiblechurch at gmail.com and we can continue to interact with all of you, our listeners. Well, that's all the time that we have for Truth Today. We want to thank you for joining us. And until next time, we hope that you will grow in your love and commitment to Christ and His church. As we are sanctified in the truth, God's Word is truth.